Podcasting from Phoenix, Arizona, the home of year-round flip-flops, the nation's largest city park, and Cactus League spring training. This is The Saver and The Spender, a weekly podcast about budgeting and money habits from both perspectives. And now, here are your hosts, The Saver and financial coach, Kelsa Dickey, and her husband, The Spender, Michael Dickey. Welcome, everybody, to episode 11 of The Saver and The Spender podcast. Um, We have some good stuff for you today. We have a bunch of topics um, on uh, finances and personal finance and debt and all that good stuff. So um, the main topic for today is uh, buying a house, how to pay it off quickly, that kind of stuff. So we'll be diving Mm -hmm. into that later. But first, we want to talk about what's trending in the news. um, And it's personally pretty scary. Um, So everybody remain calm. There's no reason to be panicked. But there's a record low pork belly supplies in the United States. You really had me worried. Good, for I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I really, I, for those of you who don't know, I literally show up and talk about money. M- Michael really does figure out what all of these topics are. And yeah. the, you gather all the questions from people and everything mm-hmm. like that, which is amazing. And so I did not know what you were about to say. And I was a little nervous for a second <laughs> there. I don't know why yes. I always fall for your uh, shenanigans. You, you do shenanigans. But, yes. uh, but no, for real, there's a record low, low pork belly supplies in the United States, likely uh, leading to higher bacon prices, but they are not expected to be any bacon, short, bacon shortages. There is no reason to stockpile bacon unless you just like bacon. Uh, I, our budget needs to increase for groceries then because we eat a lot, we of, bacon eat a lot of bacon. And we eat pretty low carb, just not just eating bacon for any other reason, but because we eat low carb. But uh, yeah, we eat a lot of bacon, so we definitely <laughs> want to <laughs> buy bacon now. Well, this is a really good update for people because yeah. for those bacon lovers, which. Yeah. For those of you who are not bacon lovers, we do not connect on a personal level. Right. Um, you need to increase your budget if you are a bacon lover like us. Mm-hmm. So here, here's here's the information, actual information about why oh, is it this, happening. Okay. So the USDA reported last last week, which has been a couple weeks ago by now, but that pork bellies in cold storage fell to 17.7 million pounds last month. Um, actually, this is in December. Um the lowest inventory since rec- records began in 1957. In comparison, more than 52.3 million pounds of pork bellies, um, which is where bacon comes from, remained in storage in December 2015. So quite a bit less pounds, fewer pounds of bacon. There are several reasons, according to local bacon retail- retailers and producers. First of all, as everyone knows, bacon is delicious, mm-hmm. obviously. Of course. In addition, bacon-based treats such as bacon jam, donuts with bacon, and chocolate-covered bacon have increased in popularity in recent years. Mm-hmm. Bacon also has become an ingredient in menu options at rest- in restaurants such as Subway, McDonald's, serving all-day breakfast. Can we stop for a second? Yes. What is bacon jam? I don't know, but I want to find out. I don't know what that is, but I'm surprised that we don't. I know. I anyway, in or around my mouth. I right mean, now. donuts with bacon and chocolate-covered bacon. I understand, and I've heard of that. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of bacon jam. Right. Okay. Yeah, we need to find out what mm-hmm. bacon jam is. We need. How do we not own it? We're any? gonna jam on bacon jam. I can't That's see better. that screen, so can you go th- make it sure. a little smaller there? Little I want to be able to see who's l- who's watching yeah. us. I'd like to know. Yeah, please, us. please tell Say us hello. if you're uh, live and watching us. I'd like to know. Yeah. Um, so retail prices for bacon probably won't jump too much right away, primarily because of advertising that already has been paid for or printed. Even if commodity prices rise, um, the uh, prices of bacon and retail prices are usually locked out 30 to 60 days. So Probably pretty soon here we're going to start seeing increases in bacon prices. So just kind of interesting in supply and demand. Got it. Okay, interesting. And budget for bacon. 
Budget for me. I'm going to have a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a really good idea. Budget so for, Hashtag budget for bacon. Good to know. So hello, Olivia. Um, bacon jam on a burger. I mean, it makes total sense. I... I'm really shocked that we have not heard of this. Yeah. We just had a burger for lunch, and I had bacon on yeah, it. Me too. Bacon jam seems like a thing we would both really yeah. enjoy. Um, I think that budget for bacon. So one of yeah. the things that we wanted to ask you guys, we really wanted your opinion on, is the screen behind us, so the wall behind us. Like, what can we use to decorate? We want to decorate behind us, and I actually think a quote, budget for bacon, <laughs> right, is... Yeah. Perfect. I don't think we yeah. actually need anything else. I think this trending topic has answered that question for yeah. us. So, but I if like you guys it. have actually other ideas, and we've actually moved. So before we would broadcast and podcast in Kelsey's office, but now we've moved into the Saver and the Spender official podcast studio, which is my office. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just have some like uh, to do lists and stuff behind me. So we want something more fun and uh, that looks better than my to-do list. So if you have any suggestions, please let us know. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Some people are probably much more creative than, well, me. Michael's actually pretty creative. Yes. But, all right. Great. We love you too, Christy. And please be uh, hanging out here for another couple minutes, Christy, because we're going to be talking about you, okay? Yes, we are talking about you, Christy. Ah. Ambushed. I wonder if she just got nervous. Yeah. All good things, Christy. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's move on to Kelsa's financial rule of dumb, which uh, explain what that is for people that don't know. A financial rule of dumb is where I take a financial rule of thumb and I poke holes in it because I actually think most rules of thumb when it comes to money don't work. I think that what happens instead is that you hear a rule of thumb and if it doesn't work for you or if you try to apply it and you can't figure out how to apply it to your life, Instead of simply realizing that the rule of thumb might not actually work, you are likely blaming yourself and feeling pretty crummy about yourself as a result. And so my job is to give you some peace of mind about these rules of thumb, explain to you why some of them are dumb, most of them are dumb, and give you some alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. So today's is uh, as follows. When paying off debt, you need to really limit yourself and not pay for things like new clothing vacations, entertainment, et cetera, until your debt is paid off. Oh, such a good one. It is a good one, huh? Yes, it is. a lot of people feel that they have to be super focused, and there are a lot of um, uh, professionals out there that that preach this. Um, So tell us what you think. Yeah, so some people actually really like a level of restriction um, because it makes them feel you know, like the sacrifices for a reason and it makes them feel motivated and that sort of thing. And they can actually operate really well, uh, feeling a lot of sacrifice. Other people, you know, if they were to come in and I would say, you know, you can't go to the movies, you can't eat out, you can't play for your daughter, pay for your daughter's ballet or something like that, um, because you have debt, then they would just quit, right? Because it's not worth it to them. So I actually don't think this works for a lot of people. Some people, it totally works for. Um, I would actually say the majority of people I work with, um, my job is to help them find balance. So if you want to get out of debt, I want you out of debt too. Um, But maybe we need to find some way of living life and enjoying it in the process in order to keep you feeling good about the progress you are making. So, and this is really important for those of you who maybe have family in another state. 
Some people come in and they say, if something happens to a family member, I am going to book a plane ticket tomorrow and I am going to go see them. I, I need to see my family once a year, even if it's not an emergency situation. And if that's the case, we need to save for it. We need to save for plane tickets. My rule of thumb is I want every person to be realistic and intentional with what you are going to spend your money on in the coming few months or coming year, let's say. And if you are going to take a vacation, if you are going to buy clothes, which most people are, especially if you have children because they're growing out of their current clothes so quickly, um, then you need to save for that. If you don't, what happens is you take everything that you are making, pay it towards your credit card, and then when these expenses come up four months later, you put that expense back on a credit card. And that's way worse, and I don't want you to do that. I would much rather have you save for these things first. It might feel like slower progress, but in my opinion, it's actually true progress. Um, because even if you pay less to your credit card in month one, two, and three, the idea is that you're not actually going to be adding to it later either because you're going to have money saved for all of the things that are going to come up uh, down the road. And I would rather have you make slow progress than no progress. So if you need to have some balance in your life in order to get out of debt, let's create that balance so that ultimately you are still getting out of debt in the process. Right. It's just more practical, right? It's just a more practical way of doing it. And people are going to yeah. spend money anyways. You know what possibly, actually? Right? Yeah. You know what this comes down to, I think, is I don't like living ex with, in extremes with money. So to go, you know, super gung-ho, sacrifice to the nth degree, I feel like what sometimes happens is you end up having that month where you overcorrect or you swing the pendulum to the other extreme, which is, you know, it's feast or famine feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Where I actually want people, this is a marathon, you know, I want people to feel very calm, intentional, collected, rational, logical. I want you to feel very calm about what's coming up and simply realistic about the progress you're making. And then if you don't like it, then we can make adjustments or we can say, you know what, I actually want this to happen faster. Let's see what we can do to make that happen faster. Right. And if you're so extreme that you, you know, don't uh, save any money for anything, you don't save for vacations or you don't save for clothes and, and you do have full intensity with debt. But if you do have to have one of those you do have to spend money on one of those. You feel so bad, I'm sure, mm -hmm. that you're like, I can't budget. You know, right. I'm bad with my money. So mm -hmm. um, it's it's good to have some uh, perspective. moderation. Long-term yeah. perspective, I think, is really, really important. We're not in a sprint here. Mm -hmm. We are in a, have a long-term perspective. Yeah. So Christy has a good question that kind of uh, follows up on that. She says, how do I keep from getting discouraged when things seem to be going so slow? Great question, Christy. Um, and I wish I had sort of an, an answer that applies for everybody, you know, that, oh, well, this is just what you do when you're discouraged, right? And it doesn't, everybody's a little different. So um, there are a few things you can do, though. Um, look back at your budget from six months ago or a year ago and see just how much progress you've made because it usually happens in small amounts and we don't see it or feel it real time. But when we look back and we realize how the combination of all of those small changes you know, how far we've come, it actually feels a lot better. So not only look behind you just to see how far you've come, but look ahead as well. So look at your budget six months from now and see where you will be, even though you can't see it today. Like we want to make progress today and we can't sometimes, you know, we either have to wait for that paycheck to come in 
and patience is key. I know it's so hard, um, but just keep looking ahead with your budget and seeing that this is where you're going to be very soon. Um, the other thing is, you know, start a start a gratitude list of here's what I have in my budget that maybe before I either couldn't have or that I know other people don't have. And, you know, one sort of extreme example of this, Michael and I posted, I guess, what was it, maybe five months ago. He doesn't know what I'm about to say, so he's mm-hmm. looking at me perplexed. Um, I We went to a charity concert, and they were doing a collection of children's socks, and they were donating it to these... Um, you know, foster care and, all, you know, orf- orphanages and all that kind of stuff for children who didn't have socks. And I just thought, wow, talk about perspective, you know, like mm-hmm. we have clothes, we, we're not really worried about how we're going to put shoes on our feet and that kind of thing. And yes, there's a whole, we could always focus on the things that we don't have, always. Um, tempering our pursuit of things is definitely a process. Like learning how to get better and better at that mm-hmm. is not something that's going to happen overnight, but sort of looking at all the things that you do have and not ignoring them and being thankful for them and even simply saying it out loud makes a big difference. Um, you know, I tell clients who live in a cold state much like yourself, you know, and they're complaining about the cold and how it's the snow and blah, blah, blah. And you know, sometimes I say go outside and walk in the snow and be thankful that you don't have a wheelchair, right? That you can walk in the snow. Um, walk outside and feel that crisp air on your face and remember that you can actually feel it, right? Because some people can't. Um, same for people in a warm climate. Go outside and feel that sun on your face and, you know, the fact that you have to close your eyes and wear sunglasses and that kind of thing. And yeah. we could all choose to focus on what we don't have, the things that we do you know, want that we don't now have and all that kind of stuff. But really it comes down to reminding yourself how far you've come, looking at how far you're going to be very soon and appreciating all that you currently have. Yep. Definitely. It's all about perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Sure. And I also think, uh, sorry, I'm going to probably go on a rampage here. Um, it is, I think, again, I want people to just have this really, um, realistic perspective of how this works, you're going to have bad days. Mm-hmm. You're going to have some days where it's super easy to stay motivated and excited and you're, all the why is obvious to you and you don't need a pep talk or anything. And then there are going to be days where it's, it feels like a challenge. It feels hard. You have to remind yourself these activities that I'm saying you have to do, you have to do them on those days, Right. One of the other things you can look at in regard to perspective is how often do you have bad days now compared to how often did you have them before? Mm-hmm. And I know in Christie's case, you know, the stress and the worry and all of that around money, you know, six months ago, eight months ago was a daily or me. I had even ventured to guess an hourly thing. Wow. Okay. An hourly stress, an hourly worry, anxiety to the top, you know, as much as it can be. And even if you have a bad day now, when was the last time you had a bad day or a discouraging day? When was the last time you felt discouraged? And even that right there is an improvement. Right. Right. Yeah. So I actually had a client um, email me recently. I should have sent that to you so we could pull it up. I didn't know we were going to talk about this. Yeah. And she said she just had this epiphany in the last week. And she said, you know, I can't remember the last time I was worried about money. Wow. And this is that's when you know you're at a really good point financially because you don't really think about it anymore like and I you think about it you're being proactive and productive but 
you don't think about the worry anymore. And most importantly, you don't think about that you even used to be worried. Like this just becomes the new norm. Mm -hmm. And you don't even realize that you are thinking, behaving all in a completely new way. But that is not something that is going to happen I would say even within a year of making change, you know, it, it takes mm-hmm. a while to all of a sudden get to the point where you look back and you're like, huh, I haven't even thought about that in a while. I can't even remember the last time I thought about it. And the epiphany is while I'm realizing now that this is just my new way. Right. And that cliche about. I can't hear anything anymore. You can't? Mm-mm. Oh, there it goes. It's just in there. Sorry, everybody. Sorry. Um, but that old cliche of, you know, the way to kill a frog with boiling water is start really slow and slowly turn the temperature up so it's boiling, right? So. Wait, what? You've never heard that before? No, and this sounds really cruel. It Why is. are we talking about boiling know. a frog? Because I'm hungry. <gasps> Stop. <laughs> no, wait, this is okay. a saying. I'm yeah, sorry, I'm getting saying, distracted. Yeah. Like if you, so if you boil a pot of water, if you have a po- boiling pot of water, you throw a frog in there, it will jump out. Oh, good. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> good. but and I don't know if this is really true or not, but this is what the cliche is, but if... But if you put a, a frog in a pot of room temperature water and you slowly turn the heat up to boiling, it will get boiled because it doesn't notice the difference from one degree to the next. So I get what you're saying. I need a new analogy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, now I'm teasing. Okay. Well, no, but I get it. Not, I get I'm what you're really saying. I really want to test it, but... No, I did not know that that was <laughs> a saying. It is. Okay. No. That's okay. I think someone sheltered That's me from thinking about boiling a frog. Probably. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's so cliche that everybody avoids it like the plague. Yeah. Um, which is not a cliche, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so, anyways. Okay. Um, Good to know. I did not, that makes total sense. That that uh, analogy really yeah, does make sense yeah. for that. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, when I worked in, in physical therapy forever, that people would, they'd say, you know, they have knee pain or back pain forever. And they come in and say, yeah, I have back pain all day, every day. And then you ask them a couple weeks later into the process, what, so how's your back doing? And they're like, yeah, I don't think it's really that much better. And then we have to ask, before you said you're in constant pain all the time and, and you had zero good days. How many ba- how many good days do you have now? I was like, well, maybe one out of four. That's, that's improvement. That's, so, a, that's actually a really good point because I do think people in general forget yeah. pain. You mm-hmm. know, you forget the discomfort of financial stress. You forget what it was like three months ago Mm -hmm. when you couldn't sleep at night and, you know, you were constantly worried. You didn't open your mail. You didn't answer your phone. You, you know, any of those things. And it's, even though we don't forget what that was like, we forget how intensely we felt that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, where now is just such an improvement. And we didn't see that happen either. You know, we didn't feel that transition, just like we're not feeling the transition we're in now. And we, really truly have to trust in the process. But with that being said, I would like to hear, I think this is a great thing for other people to share because I've always said success breeds success. And I would love to hear how other people are keeping themselves motivated. What do you do when you have a a day where you're feeling extra challenged, extra discouraged? You know, I know I see what a lot of my clients do, but there's probably a million other ideas out there. And I would love to hear what other people are doing. Yeah. And I think one easy thing that is maybe not so easy, but one simple thing that you can do is just take a, an inventory of your of your stress over your finances, of all those things that Kelsey was talking about of, of before, like what, where was I, where am I now, and what's my stress, what was my stress level before? And, you know, your, your progress as far as numbers might not be as uh, advanced as you want, but 
you're not you actually go to the mailbox and get your mail rather than avoiding it you know so there's just some really simple inventory things you can do of of asking yourself some questions and reevaluating every couple weeks every every month mm-hmm. something like that so mm-hmm. great okay. point cool so let's move on to our budget brag for this episode. And speaking of Christy, this is yours, Christy. I hope you don't mind me us using it, but it's so awesome that I feel like we should. So um, Christy said her credit score went up from 542 in October to 719 just last week. So um, congratulations, Christy. That's like amazing, amazing. right? Mm-hmm. So October, November, December, January, February, March, six months ago, basically. Can we just tell everybody that you just used your fingers? I did. I had to <laughs> for months. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I yeah. do too, actually. I use my fingers all the time. I completely confess to this. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Counting to six is hard. <laughs> um, so what are some things that, Kelsey, you know, that are that are typical for people to improve their credit score like this in such a short amount of time? So she went from a 542 to a 719, and it was from October until now, so six months. Mm-hmm. Okay. I counted my finger six. You counted. <laughs> We've confirmed the math is correct. Okay. Um, I will say that, you know, my goal for a client is not to improve their credit score. That's not our number one focus. Our number one focus is putting all of these really good behaviors in place, managing our money in such a smart way that it just so happens that your credit score going up is a byproduct of that, you know? Um, And in this case, you know, two of the really big factors that caused this credit score jump were paying bills on time and the debt to credit limit ratio, so credit utilization. Hmm. So if you have a total of $10,000 available credit and you are maxed out on everything, so you're at 9999 or even above your credit limit, that's bad, hmm. okay? And while it doesn't always mean that, like, as soon as you pay off a bunch of debt, the next month it goes up, but what happens is good builds on good builds on good, and so you're starting from a higher point, and then the next month you're starting from another higher point and so forth. And in this case, it just so happened that those two things were the worst things that were happening, and by fixing those, everything else was okay. So in the sense of... You know, we're not out running our credit every month for something. So the number of inquiries, um, the number of open accounts, the length of your history, these are all things that affect your score. And those were all okay. It was just these two, and we were able to solve them pretty quickly. So we were able mm-hmm. to pay a bunch of things down or rearrange some things so that it made that number look better, that utilization percentage look better. And we paid things on time. And that is a huge, huge factor. This is also a really good way to give yourself that gratification of what I'm doing is working. So I do really like for people to check their score because, one, it's a really good way to make sure that you aren't having anything fraudulent happen. Um, It is cheap, free. I mean, it's usecreditkarma.com. It is, you know, people see the commercials and they say, oh, I saw that commercial and I really wasn't sure if it was true. It's true. It's free. It's a really good way to monitor it every single month, make sure there's nothing crazy going on that you don't know about. Um, And it's also a really good tool to give some people that gauge of like the improvement. It's like a scorecard, right? And again, not that we hang our hat on that, but when you see it, it's a confirmation or a reassurance, sort of the affirmation of what I'm doing is obviously working. Mm -hmm. So nice. Yeah. Good job, Christy. Congratulations. That's amazing. 
So um, we have a, a pretty interesting uh, listener question mm. that came in. Um, and it came on online, so it's just from N. King. Um, and this person asks, uh, and I quote, I'm pretty far in debt and trying to turn it around. I have a credit card with $8,800 in balance and an AP- APR of 16.24%, which is about $120 a month in interest. And, but also have a car note for 7.2,000 with an APR of 3.75%. However, the loan has accelerated and costs about $600 per month. I also have other credit cards at smaller balances and lower interest rates. I've talked to a financial advisor, and she recommended putting the money towards the credit card, but I just can't see how paying the down the car note and freeing up $600 per month isn't the best idea. The money saved by paying down the card seemed like considerable less money. Any advice is very much appreciated. So the first thing I'm going to do is repeat some of these numbers. Yeah, there's a lot of numbers in there. Sorry. Yeah, credit card. I have a few of them, but the one that he, she, I don't know if it's he or she, referring to is 16.24% at $8,800. So, nope, 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 you're doing 16.24% with a balance of $8,800 and a car loan at 3.75% with a balance of $7,200. So those are the numbers he's referring to. He was told to pay off the credit card. I'm now giving this person a he symbol. Okay. Um, And he wants to pay off the car. Regardless of the numbers, I will tell you that if you aren't motivated about it and if you aren't fired up about it, it's not going to work. Okay. So regardless of the numbers, if you feel super gung-ho and motivated by the idea of paying off that car loan, that needs to be your focus, no matter what I would say to do, no matter what your financial advisor would say to do. There is something about that one that if you do anything else, you're always going to question it. You're always going to question the decision you make to throw extra, and I can't have you with that level of doubt. Mm -hmm. Okay? So this is something that whatever you decide to do, you need to f- stand very firm that this is your strategy and that you are not changing course no matter which blog article you read, no matter which expert you talk to or which podcast you listen to, even ours. Mm-hmm. Okay. The reason for that is getting out of debt is an amazing feat. And I, it is an accomplishment no matter which way you do it. And what I see happen all the time is people get frozen in the steps of doing it. Because of all the mixed information, I mean, where it's like information paralysis, mm-hmm. pick a debt, throw everything to it. If you get that debt paid off, then go to the next one. It doesn't matter which order, <laughs> really and truly. Like, get yourself out of debt, okay? In this case, I actually do really like the idea of paying off the car. Mm. So I don't always believe that there's a one size fits all approach to getting out of debt. So there's, you know, four, four main strategies. I can't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but but just recap them really fast just for, okay. Yeah. I don't do anything really fast. So let's just, (laughs) okay. Um, I would say the, you know, the most popular one is, uh, the snowball approach made popular by Dave Ramsey. It's the one he favors. It's the idea that you take all of your debts, put them in order of balance amount and pay off the one with the lowest balance first. And then once you get that money freed up, you pay off the one with the second balance, second lowest balance, second, et cetera. So in this case, um, he would take all of the balances, doesn't really matter the interest rate, and pay off those smaller ones first. 
The uh, second one is the avalanche approach. This one it was most popular or most favored by Susie Orman. I think this is the one, the one that your financial advisor is telling you. Financial people definitely like this one best because the idea is that the one with the highest interest rate is costing you the most money in interest. And so the cheapest way to get out of debt is to focus on that one. So again, they're financial people. They're looking at it from an analytical standpoint. Dave Ramsey's looking at it from a behavior standpoint, paying off the one with the smallest balance, keeps you motivated and so forth. The third option um, is the one where you rank them by payment amount and you pay off the one with the highest payment amount first with the idea that that one's costing you the most money in cash flow every month. Uh, and then I actually say the fourth one is the one with the most emotional baggage. So there are some instances, some people come in and they just have one debt where it's like really causing them a lot of anxiety. They're reliving a decision that they made you know, three years ago and they're still paying for it. And if that's the case, let's maybe get that one out of your life because you're reliving a past financial decision that you made that you can't undo. And that's toxic, you know, mm -hmm. um, really they're all good strategies, right? So the idea is that, that they all have in common is that you pick one debt, you throw everything to it and you don't throw extra to anything else until that one debt is gone. So you pay the minimums on everything except for one. So they simply disagree on which one debt that should be. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because it's different for everybody. You know, some people don't have an emotional reaction to debt. They just look at it all and say they hate it all equally. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's the case, the emotional baggage one won't work for you and so forth. Um, in this case, the idea by paying off the $600 one first you, the balances are really close to the same, which means more of your payment is actually, you're creating more momentum with that $600 car. So the quicker you get that, you know, paid off, yes, the sooner you free that up. And since the payment is so much higher every month anyway, the idea is that it's probably going to happen faster than the other one. Mm -hmm. Does that right. make sense? Yep. Um, and it's not even always about faster, but again, this one is, there's an emotional reaction here for some reason. And I don't know you, so I don't know what that is. And I can't figure out, you know, why you feel so passionate. And it doesn't matter, right? Like you feel super gung-ho about paying this car off. So do it, stand firm in it, get that sucker out of your life and then focus on that next credit card or maybe one of the other, you know, some of the smaller ones. So he had said, um, uh, where did it go? Um, I also have other credit cards with smaller balances and lower interest rates. Right. So imagine the car gets paid off. I don't know what those smaller balances are, but if you've got, you know, the $600 car payment plus a, a little extra and the car's now gone, you could maybe wipe out some of those smaller ones in a month yeah. or two months, you know, it could yeah. happen really quickly. And then you have this one big credit card left. You have... Um, one focus, you've got your attention now, sort of tunnel vision, ultra focused, you know, you're not distracted by all this other debt, you've got this one credit card to focus on. I will say that if you know, you know, let's say it's going to take you a year to get to that, to be focusing on this bigger credit card. You know, I am actually okay with you transferring the balance to a 0% card in the meantime, this is not a strategy for getting out of debt. Okay, so this does not get you out of debt. It simply minimizes the impact and the financial cost while you're getting out of debt. Mm -hmm. So it might save you a little bit of interest until you get to the point where you are focusing on that debt. And then you just simply, like I said, tackle it with a vengeance. And uh, if it saves you a little bit of money in the process now, if you're going to get that car paid off and maybe in a few months, this depends on how much extra you have, then you don't probably need to transfer the balance. It's not going to be that big of a difference. But if this is going to take you a little while before you actually focus on that credit card, transfer it. Save yourself a little bit of money um, and uh, get that car paid off. Yeah. So takeaway as far as choosing 
uh, which debt, which which strategy to use. To take away is, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but find what motivates you the most. Yep. Right. So is it the numbers? Is it that interest? Is it the emotional aspect of it? Um, you know, mm-hmm. find what motivates you the most. Maybe you're a very analytical type of person, and you want to do it towards the interest rate. Maybe right. Yeah, exactly. So some people are really fired up by the fact that they're paying a lot in interest. And if that's the case, use it as your motivation, use it to keep a fire under your butt and make that one last because the sooner you get through all the others, the sooner you get to pay off the one with the big interest rate. And that one is like really bothering you. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Other people like in this case, he for some reason doesn't like having making this car payment every month. So get that out of your life. Um, some people are very overwhelmed by the number of bills they have, the number of minimum payments. They're, they don't feel very organized in their approach to paying bills or sort of the juggling act of like 12 different credit cards. And if that's the case, if that's how you feel, pick the few that are really small and just get them out of your life because it can feel a little bit like letting go of clutter. Mm-hmm. you know, and helps with feeling like you don't have so much going on to keep track of. Um, and yet other people are super organized. It doesn't stress them out to have 12 minimum payments. And so that one's not a determining factor for them. Perfect. Okay, cool. So now we're moving on to our main topic, which um, Jill and Dave, if you're, if you're listening, listen up. But uh, so we're going to talk about one, how to be, be prepared for buying a house and how to pay it off as quickly as possible. And Jill and Dave are my sister and brother-in-law, and they're looking at houses, and they're going to look at one today, like literally right around the corner from our house. So we're super excited that they hopefully they'll like it. <laughs> um, we have ulterior motives. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so. um, okay, I I think this might actually need to be two different podcasts because this is both very long. Um, so which one do you want to tackle? How to for be today? how to get prepared for buying a house. Okay, right, let's do this one, and I'll touch on the second one quickly, but I do think there's a lot that goes into it. So. Um, there are two different things at, that sort of go into this. There is what a mortgage person tells you you can afford mm-hmm. and what you can afford cash flow wise and in, in your budget. And the first, they're both needed. You need to know what both of these numbers are, but they usually differ very greatly. Okay. So what you can get approved for and how much of your monthly income you want to commit to your house are usually two different things. I would rather have you focus on the latter, okay? Because if you get into a house and it's maxing out your budget, so then you can't take vacations. You can't, um, you know, have your daughter in ballet or, you know, buy clothes because maybe that's kind of your thing or whatever. It's, you have to know what that number is that allows you to achieve the type of balance that you want in life. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I can't remember if we talked about this on another podcast, but one of my clients had her 50% of her house or I'm sorry, 50% of her income went to her house every month. And there's a lot of people that would say, Oh my God, I can't believe that that's terrible. And, but for her, you know, she didn't care what kind of car she drove. She didn't have a car payment. She didn't care if she took vacations. She didn't really need to even travel. For her, her house was her sanctuary. It was the thing that she cared most about. And so for her, it made sense to have this be a big part of her income. For other of my clients, they may be able to get approved for a certain amount, 
But if they were to do that, it means that in order to pay for that, they can't travel, they can't pay for kids' expenses, they have to forego some of their hobbies or any number of things. And you have to know what level of sacrifice are you talking about having with this house. Mm-hmm. So that's that's number one. Um, Number two is it is not just about the house payment. I cannot stress this enough. So one of the things you can do to prepare is call utility companies, give them the address, and have them give you the 12-month history for the bills for that house, whether it's water bill, electric bill, any number of things. This Mm -hmm. is really, really important. Um, Because if you're used to renting and it's utilities included, let's say, um, we need to learn what, how much are the utilities in that city, in that area for that house. It obviously depends a lot on the efficiency of how it was built and any number of things. So it's very, very important to know that. Um, The other thing is to try and think about all the other things you're going to need in addition to just the house payment and utilities. Um, you know, a good example is, is there a home warranty expense? Make sure you add this to your budget every month. Um, is there a HOA? Mm-hmm. Is there a landscaper needed? Now, here's the thing. People like to fight with me about the landscaper, okay? <laughs> because they say we don't need a landscaper, especially here in Arizona. There's a lot of rock landscaping. You don't need to do a lot of upkeep. However, I will say, If you have palm trees, unless you're going to climb that palm tree and trim it yourself, you're going to have to get those palm trees trimmed probably twice a year. Um, If you have just bushes and trees in general, like you might have to do tree trimming, or if you are okay doing this yourself, then don't budget for it. But I would say most of us are not going to climb a palm tree. I could be wrong. Um, And so it is something that we simply need to budget for. And just asking coworkers like, hey, do you do this? How much do you pay for it when it does happen? Um, And sort of building that into your budget. Even um, yard work in general, um, even if it's like a monthly expense that you're averaging out, that way you know it's part of your budget. I think that that's really important. If you have grass, um, you know, is there... uh, are you cutting the grass yourself? Do you need equipment for that? Do you have to buy a lawnmower? If you are trimming the trees yourself, do you have to buy the equipment to do that? Mm -hmm. Right? So there's a lot that goes into this part of it. And you want to know all of those investments going into purchasing the house. Uh, The other thing is a home repair fund, just a home maintenance fund in general, um, a furniture fund, those kinds of things should all be part of your budget. You need to add all of those in when deciding if you can afford this house or not not just the payment amount. Right. Okay. And this, you know, this can vary so greatly because some people are super handy. They do it all themselves. They're the DIYers and, you know, it's sort of their thing. They can do things cheaply. And other of us, <clears throat> us, um, we're not going to do any of it. <laughs> Chances are it's going to cost us more money if we have to do it because we're going to pay somebody to do it for us because we don't either have the know-how or want to learn or have the time. Right. Right. Um, so there is a ton that goes into it. And, um, you know, these are all parts of whether or not you can afford a house that you have to think about going into that process. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, when it comes to paying off a house quickly, this actually comes to, comes back to a goal system. So, you know, at some point paying off your house might be your number one goal, Until it's your number one goal, I need you focused on one goal at a time. So maybe it's paying off your car, paying off a credit card, um, you know, saving for a vacation or saving for the next card. You want to choose one goal and just 
throw everything to it at a time and then change course. And what I don't want you to do is always pay extra on your mortgage, always pay extra on your car, always pay extra on each credit card you have. That's called divide and conquer. But unfortunately, when it comes to money, that doesn't usually work. You end right. up dividing all of your money and not conquering anything. And so I want you to sort of pick one goal at a time. Um, and then when you get to paying off your house, there is a lot of you know different strategies, and that's why I think we could talk about this on a different podcast, but um, setting a milestone is probably the most important. So making it so, you know, if you have a $250,000 mortgage, celebrate when you're at 230 or 215 or, you know, trying to set that milestone and give yourself a reward. Otherwise, I mean, it could take you 10 years and that's okay. Um, for some of the people, like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, this is coming full circle where you want restriction. You, you know, don't want to do anything. You don't want to take a vacation until you hit your goal. And then for other people, you know, not taking a vacation for 10 years while you pay off your mortgage is simply not an option. Mm -hmm. And so you, you want to know, set a milestone. What is your reward at the end of that? And then be able to hit the next milestone from there. Cool stuff. Cool. Uh, Carmen's Corner is where we talk about kids and money, right? Mm -hmm. And Carmen is our daughter, if you didn't know that. Um, so specific question for today is about saving for college, which is, I don't know, it was in the news a lot during the election cycle, right, of, you know, some people wanted mm -hmm. free college and that kind of stuff, but... Um, the, the question today is, what is the best way to save for my one-year-old's college education right now? And if they are older than one, how, what if you start later in life for those kids? Yeah, so there are a lot of options for saving from an investment standpoint and having that money go towards college. And there's a benefit there. You can either get a tax deduction, a tax credit. It can go grow tax-free. There's a lot of options there. Um the younger the child, the the more nervous I am of suggesting to somebody that they put too much money in some of these funds because, you know, one of the candidates this last year, one of their their things was that they really wanted four-year college to be 100% paid for. And if that's the case, and if you have a one-year-old and you've put all this money in by the time they're 18 and then it has to go to college, but their college is paid for by our government mm – -hmm. um, it's got to go towards college somehow, right? right? Whether right, that's right. either a, a, a master's program or something, and that's okay if that's what the child wants to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't necessarily love that approach for super young. I'm not saying don't do anything at all, but you could start with like 50 bucks a month or $100 a month, and that would probably be plenty in that regard. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, now, the the other thing that I would say is... I do believe in the idea that you probably need to make sure that you're saving for retirement before you save for your kid's college, okay? So one of the strategies that I like to suggest is a Roth IRA, which, you know, you can use, you can always pull out what you've invested, okay? So a lot of financial advisors don't want people to know this because they don't want them calling for like, oh, hey, I want to take a vacation. Let me use my Roth IRA. Um, so, but you could. So the idea is that you could put in the max every year. And if you don't need it for college, it's there for your retirement. So in my opinion, it serves two purposes. Mm -hmm. um, it's a dual purpose there. And if your child gets a scholarship or you know, school is paid for by the time they go to college, it's there for you to use. But if you needed to dip into it, maybe they get 
most of it paid for and you just need a thousand dollars a year or something to cover the gap that you have some options there um i i like that better okay yeah um you could do savings bonds. That is an option. The other thing I will say that I really like is to take some of what money the child gets at a young age and put some of it away into a savings account for them for college. And it can simply be a savings account um, at a bank. It can, like I said, be in a Roth IRA. It can be in a 529 plan. It, there's you know a whole bunch of different options. Um, but like I said, I think the Roth IRA serves two purposes. And if you're not maxing it out, you probably need to be anyway. If you're not doing anything for retirement, that should be your first step before college. And so I'm going to actually tell you to do that. Good. Cool. Okay. So, um, you know, there, there are, I assume still, I haven't had to look at colleges in a long time, but I'm, I, I assume there's still a lot of scholarships and I'm not talking about uh, sports scholarships that you have. Your kid has to be an athlete and get a full ride to a college. But, you know, maybe plan on really working hard starting junior year of high school of applying for different scholarships. Um, and, uh, you know, your kids can work, too, and pay off, help pay. They don't necessarily have to pay for all of it. Um, and if they do and that's your choice, that's okay, right? Yes, I actually like the idea now that we're saying this is, you know, jot this down for a future podcast. We can we will interview um, one of the CPAs that we work with on the FAFSA application, the mm-hmm. tips for filling that out. We can also have um, a bunch of the websites that I recommend to people. Um, we'll suggest it will be a whole, I think, podcast on college education, how to pay for it, the scholarship websites, the, you know, where to go. Um, it, it really, it changes a lot over time. So it's one of those things, if we do that podcast now, we'd have to do it probably next year as right. well. But at the same time, it really is good information. And, you know, I had I have one parent who uh, gives her son or daughter like $10 for every scholarship application that, oh, that he fills awesome. out. And I mean, I think it's a great idea. What, I mean, use it, find a way to motivate them, whatever way that is. Maybe it's, you know, that they don't have to do their chores. They don't have to, you know, do the dishes one night or something, but try to find a way to motivate them to fill out those applications because it, it is kind of a volume thing. You know, mm-hmm. you have to do a lot of them and it's not fun, but uh, it can really pay off. Cool. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. Well, that is this week's episode. Yay. We made it through. Um, so next week we um, we and in full uh, transparency, we decided to talk about. We had two different topics we wanted to talk about, right? So, I th- I think that next week we're going to talk about your money personality. Um, like my money personality, or your, your plural, your your meaning the world's oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, money okay. personality. So, it, uh, in between now and next episode, we're going to be talking about Brent Kessel, um, and his book is it's not just about the money. I believe is what it's called, but um, we're going to be, be talking about his different money personalities. So there's a quiz to take. Um, if mm-hmm. you're listening now, maybe take it now. Find out what your money personality is. We're going to be talking about all those personalities. Um, so what do they search for? Uh, Brent Kessel. Let me type this up. Yeah, type. We have this cool technology. Let's use it. So Brent Kessel is the author. Um, you can get his book from the library. Um, you can find it. And I'll leave um, the in the show notes and in the Facebook Live, I'll leave the link to the PDF um, version of it where you can just download it, fill it out, complete it, so you'll have it ready to go. Um, this is the one that we took. This is the one right? that we took, yes, exactly. 
So I highly recommend not only should you take it, but sort of slip it under your spouse's coffee mm-hmm. in the morning and let them. T- it's very quick. Yeah. Very it's quick ten, quiz. Ten, ten questions, questions I think, really yeah. fast. Um, Michael and I were exactly the same. Yeah. I was surprised, in all honesty. I was totally surprised. But I also know, I wonder, had we taken it, let's say, oh. 12 years ago when yeah. we first got married or first you know, got together versus now, I bet you it would have been totally different. I only think the reason we're same now is because of all the work we've put into getting on the same page with money, yeah. but I don't think it like is something that happened naturally. Right. So so you're saying we have to change the title of this podcast to The Saver and the Saver. Oh my God. <laughs> no. Because no. uh-uh. I still like to spend money. Yeah. I <laughs> and I don't like to spend money. Right, so right, right. <laughs> I like to save it. Right. Um, but you know, I, it's, it's to me is a great, if it reminds me of the love languages. Mm-hmm. Um, where if you haven't heard of that before, that's something else to look at if you're in a relationship of, uh, and even just for some personal exploration. What's that? Take off the Brent Kessel. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Thank you. Um, but I'll, I'll write that. So the love languages um, is the name of this quiz, and I think it's free, right? You can, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, you can take it, it, and it it just talks about how you prefer to receive love from somebody else and how you prefer to give love to somebody else. So it could be... What are some of the topics? Material things, time, mm-hmm. um, small gestures, gestures, physical oh, contact, physical touch, and verbal. Verbal, right? Mm-hmm. So, how do you, you know, how do you like to receive it? And and people, you know, the the I guess the theory is is that you have miscommunication and and you don't have a good relationship because what you like to give is different than what your partner likes to receive and vice versa. Right. Like the way you show love and the way you receive love, you can, you, everybody has two different love languages. Mm -hmm. So you could be the type of person that buys a lot of gifts for people as your way of showing love. It makes you feel like that's obvious to you that you're showing love that way. And if a person doesn't receive love by receiving gifts, they're not even getting it, Yeah, you know, where they really just want to hear the words. I love you. If they're, you know, needing verbal communication or physical touch or, um, you know, small gestures and that sort of thing. So I, you know, before I ever heard of the five love languages, I knew what mine was. And I Mm -hmm. used to say all the time that, um, one of the things I always loved that Michael did was every morning when we first got married, Michael would wake up and make coffee. And this might not seem like that big of a deal, except for Michael wasn't drinking coffee. He literally would wake up every morning, make coffee, and it was purely for me. I never asked him to make coffee. I never said I expected him to make coffee. Hmm. Not, he probably knew, whoa, I better get this woman a cup of coffee when she yeah, first gets up. It was self-preservation <laughs> is what it was. No. <laughs> but to me, it was one of those really small gestures that just spoke so greatly and some where if you you could have bought me a diamond bracelet and it would not have meant anything right like mm-hmm, but making true. me coffee in the morning was like oh he's the nicest guy ever no. right. <laughs> um you know one thing that i realized that i think has changed for my the the type of um love language that i like to receive is it's now more bacon <laughs> so on that note bye everybody bye Thanks for listening to The Saver and The Spender. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, www.fiscalfitnessaz.com, to your family, friends, and colleagues. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at IamFiscallyFit, and on Facebook at FiscalFitnessPHX. Join us next time for another edition of The Saver and The Spender.